If you were with us last week, you know we started a, a new series um, that we are calling Top, Top, Top Topics. And uh, in this series, you basically checked off a couple topics that you were most interested in around Easter time. Um, last week was the Holy Spirit. This week is spiritual warfare. Um, next week, we'll be handling stress. And then the following uh, week, we'll be dealing with difficult people. Uh, or the, that'll be the last week, I should say. And so looking forward to getting into spiritual warfare this morning. Everybody picked some uh, really good uh, topics, and so this will be a fun topic, and I think this will be a very helpful topic. Believe it or not, I think it's a very relevant topic. Um, you may not think so, but uh, I, I think by the end of this morning, you will discover that it is. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, um, if you've ever studied on this topic of spiritual warfare, this is kind of the Holy Grail. This is where most pastors go to to teach on um, you see spiritual warfare not just here um, or how to deal with it, but we see it through different places within Scripture. But this may be one of the most helpful places. And so as you take your notes out or if you go as you go to Ephesians 6.10, I'm going to read through verse 10 verse through verse 13. And this is what we are told. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. What do you feel that's against you right now at this moment? Anything against you? Anything pressing against you? So that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, what do you mean by that, Paul? Because there are some people out there that are crazy. Like they, you know, it seems like there are some people that I am wrestling against that are flesh and blood. Are you telling me that there's there's not people that are going to trouble me? Well, Paul doesn't mean that there aren't people who are going to trouble you. In fact, Paul was beaten. Paul was rejected. Paul had plenty of problems with people. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Will you pray with me? Father, as we understand this text, as we begin to try to understand what it means to engage in spiritual warfare, might you give us the tools to stand. Might we be guided by your spirit as we understand what you are doing in our lives and the lives of others to eradicate evil. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, those of you who are familiar with this topic probably noticed something. Uh, that I didn't read through the whole armor of God. Anybody notice that? Go, oh, wait a second, Josh, why didn't... You keep going. Um, Well, uh, one of the reasons is because I feel like if I would exposit the whole armor of God, this sermon would kind of feel like a drive-by because there are a number of things that we put on that would take me quite a long time uh, to get through. So you can thank me for that later. Um, Also, ladies, you have an opportunity uh, to meet tomorrow night and go through the whole armor of God with the women's Bible study. Um, I'll plug my wife's class tomorrow night on Monday nights. 
Um, and so you'll go through each piece of the armor together um, with a group of ladies. Uh, ladies, if you're interested in that, and guys, you know you're going to be home alone with your kids. Uh, here's my plan, by the way. Um, I'm going to take my kids to McDonald's, uh, and I'm going to let my son play in the play place uh, while I hang out with my daughter and try to keep her from wanting her mom. Um, and so if you want to join me, come while our wives are over putting on the armor of God. Now, for others, uh, you notice something probably quite different when I read through this. Uh, perhaps you notice something odd to you, and it's this idea of the devil, uh, or spiritual warfare in general, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. Now, I, that, that sounds kind of odd. I think, to many of us. Like, does the devil really exist? And I want to take a moment, um, because I believe he does. And if you're taking notes, here's one of the things that I want you to write down, or at least consider, is that you fight against the devil. You, you fight against the devil. Now, this seems like an odd thing to believe in, in 2016, but one of the reasons that I believe in it is because Jesus believed that he fought against the devil. Jesus believed in the devil. Paul here obviously believes in the devil and that the devil is real and that he exists. I do want you to consider a few things here if this is hard for you to believe. One, first off, I want you to consider that there is a cosmic dimension of evil that you may not understand if you're having trouble with this. Uh, some of you may have learned in history uh, this era that we have called the Progressive Era. Um, it basically, most historians believe that it begins or kind of relegates it to beginning sometime around 1890 to about the 1920s. And so during the Progressive Era, technology and the sciences began to expand at a faster rate than um, really and throughout much of history. And so what we began to do kind of as the human race, and especially as Americans, we began to believe that our technologies and our sciences were going to solve most of our problems. And so all we needed to do is to continue to advance technologically and then also continue to have a better understanding of the psychologies, what uh, goes on in the minds of people, and sociologies, how groups of people behave. And once we understand all of these things, all of our problems will be solved and we will create a better world, a better nation, a better place to live. Well, following the progressive era comes two major wars. What were they? World War I, World War II. And so people's winds, or the wind started to get kind of knocked out from people's sails. Uh, increasingly, too, or similarly, um, some of our sociologies and psychologies came up with new ideas on how to govern societies, communism, and a number of other social experiments, Marxism, and so forth. And so the, the 1900s experienced um, uh, two leaders, not named Hitler, that were two of the deadliest leaders ever to live, Stalin and Mao. And so what we discover is right after the progressive era, an era when all of our problems were going to be solved by sociologies, psychologies, and technologies, is what we actually discovered was the deadliest period, 100 years in human history. 
And so all I want you to consider here is that there might be, there might be some evil or an aspect of evil that we don't completely understand. As we think about 9-11 here, one of the things that we like, love to, to blame evil on is this idea of lack of education or lack of wealth. Bin Laden was a Saudi prince. He was educated and he was wealthy. The educated and the wealthy can be just as evil as the poorly educated and as those who have very little. So I'd like you to consider that there's a cosmic dimension of evil that you just may not understand. The second thing, consider for a moment that if you don't believe in the devil, his demons, and so forth, that you're uh, being a little simplistic. You're being a little too simplistic. Tim Keller, in his sermon on spiritual warfare, he points out that the Puritan writer Richard Baxter, who lived in the 1600s, um, and his book on melancholy, which is uh, basically a word that we consider depression now, um, he approaches, Richard Baxter approaches melancholy and encourages pastors to approach melancholy in this way. He says that there are a number of causes for depression. He says one might be a physical cause. If this is the case, you might need medicine, food, or rest. He said there might be a psychological cause. This means that if you're cast down, you probably need a lot of love and affirmation and support. He said that there might be a moral cause. In other words, you might be guilty or angry about something. In that case, you need forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance. And he says there might be a demonic cause. Now, this is quite interesting because this is just so uh, um, uh, vast and complete. It's incredible because... Um, this is very considerate of everything that might go on. And I think you might be hard-pressed even today to find a counselor that would consider all of these things. And of course, it could be a combination of each and every one of these things. Baxter, because you are a spiritual being, says that we should think about the spiritual implications of what goes on in your life. Because you're a moral being. You should think about how morality influences the way you feel about yourself and other people. Very interesting. So consider that it could be that you are being too simplistic if you don't believe in the devil and his demons. Thirdly, consider that you're just being culturally narrow. Right? Uh, many people, especially moderns, like to believe that we're open, open-minded, especially postmodern, right? Like people like me, millennials. Well, we, we need to be open-minded. Uh, well, most of the world... Uh, especially most of the non-Western world, uh, believes in the spiritual realities of evil, um, including the devil and his demons. If I were to take you to Guatemala, where I've been several times, and you told me, well, I don't really believe like spiritual warfare is real, um, we could probably change your mind fairly quickly. Uh, the same thing if I took you to the continent of Africa um, as well. Uh, and so just consider that you're being maybe a little too culturally narrow. Uh, fourthly, do you believe in a personal God who is good? If you believe in a personal God who is good, one, I would just ask you, especially if you're a believer, if you believe in a personal God who is good, well, where do we get that from? We get that from Scripture, the same place that we get an understanding that there is a personal being who is evil. If you believe in a personal God who is good, just because you like to believe that a personal there's a personal God who is good, well, why there couldn't there be a personal being who is evil as well. And the fifthly, 
I believe that you won't understand the evil around you without an understanding of the devil and his demons. You see, so many of us have trouble, and the world has trouble defining and acknowledging that evil exists. It does. We have, we have no great reason for why evil exists. On the other hand, Scripture is relatively clear about this. We Evil exists because of two fallen beings. Angels and humans. Angels have rebelled against God and the good that God had for them and turned their backs on them and now perpetuates evil. And so we have the devil and angels. Similarly, Adam and Eve and people turn their backs against God and rebel against God. And evil is actually something that's in our hearts. It's inside of us. It's something that we do and we have. And so what angels and demons basically do is that they agitate the evil that is already inside of us. They agitate our rebellion that we already naturally gravitate towards. This is how the Bible explains how these things happen. Now, there are two errors, I think, that people commonly make when we're thinking about the devil and his demons um, Lewis puts the, points them out. C.S. Lewis, in his introduction to uh, the Screwtape letters, um, he says basically there are two errors that people make. One is that we overestimate the devil and his demons. In other words, uh, you know, you know these people. Anything that bad happens is the devil, right? Car won't start. It's the devil, right? Have you put some gas in it, right? You quit leaving your lights on. Um, or stomacho the devil, wife burnt the dinner. Don't that's that's never the devil. <laughs> never the devil. Okay. Look at verse twelve though. Uh, look at look at verse twelve. We want to be careful not to overestimate them. But I do want to show you the. T- take a look at the word that he uses here. That Paul uses. He says that we wrestle. We wrestle. We wrestle. In other words. That we, we struggle. Has anybody ever wrestled in here? Anybody, any wrestlers? We have any wrestlers in this church? Okay, we have a few. We need some more wrestlers in here. Um, I, I wrestled in high school and high, and wrestling is really like a hand-to-hand combat. It is a struggle. It's one of those sports or it's one of those activities where you are using all of your strength at once. Like you will never experience, um, being, uh, completely worn out or completely tired. Or you will never give all of yourself towards something as uh, you, you do in wrestling. Now, I had a problem with wrestling. Uh, I wasn't—I didn't win a whole lot. That was my problem, right? Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, I lost as much as I won, and that was troubling for me because I'm really competitive and prideful, not always in a good way. But one of the things, um, or as I reflect on that experience and the struggle that I had in that. My problem with wrestling actually wasn't that I wasn't very good at it. Um, in fact, by my junior year, the group of guys on the team made me a captain because I could beat most of the guys in the room. So I had the skill set. My brother was a state placer. I've always been able to beat him. We had a number of people who went to state and these are the people that said they were going to make me captain. Like I was a practice champ, uh, which is cool if uh, only towards the guys who actually practice with you because everybody else knows you as a loser. Um, 
you know, at the end of the year, I would get that, like, the award from the coach, like, nice try, Josh. I'm glad you're on the team. Come back next year because you're good at making other people better, but you stink. Um, so, so I, I lost a lot, and it wasn't, it really wasn't because of lack of skill, but it was because every time before I went out onto the mat, I psyched myself out. Like, I used to think, like, oh, man, like, I, if I lose this, I'm going to be in front of everybody in my singlet, which is weird, too. And, you know, they're going to raise his hand instead of mine, and people are going to think, like, I'm a wimp or whatever. And so I would get so worked out. I was, I was worn out before I even got the opportunity to wrestle. And so by the time I got out there, I lost most of the time because I was out of breath, and I was probably in better shape than anybody in the room. Uh, and here's the thing. We can overestimate the devil and his demons in the same way that I used to overestimate pretty much every single one of my opponents in a wrestling match. We can give them way more authority than they actually have in our lives. What is interesting here is that Paul, when he gets to the end of kind of all of this and the implications behind all of going to war against the devil or engaging in spiritual warfare, is that you can and you will stand. This is not you will be defeated by the devil and his demons. Is that you will stand against them at the end. The second mistake, though, we can make, and it's the opposite, but it's equally as bad and as dangerous, is that we can underestimate them. Uh, in other words, we can forget that we actually have an opponent. And so we can believe that the devil and the demons don't exist. Uh, that um, they have no real power. You know, this can look like a number of things in your life. Like, I'll go to that psychic. I'll allow them to read my palm. I'll go to this. Uh, it could be a haunted house. It could be a number of things, whatever it may be. But in reality, you just don't acknowledge their existence. It could be a game that you're playing. But the truth is, is that the devil is real. And there is a real struggle that you're engaged in. Uh, did, you, did you see the description that Paul uses? He says, we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in these heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it does show that this is something that we need to be serious about. And to acknowledge, in other words, right, if you were wrestling somebody, like we used to call certain people a fish, um, you would go out there and you'd wrestle them and you know that they were just going to be easy to take down, that they would flop, that they didn't want to really be out there. Well, Satan and the demons, they're not fishes. They just don't roll over. And instead, the devil is crafty. He's a schemer. He's got methods. And so here's one of the things that I want you to know as we approach this topic is that the devil has methods. He has schemes. This is the second point if you're taking notes. Uh, there in verse 11, you'll see that Paul says he has schemes. He has schemes. The word in the Greek there is methods. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the same word that we use for methods. In other words, he's crafty. He's a good liar. He will try to trick you, do whatever he can. He will do whatever he can to get you to turn your back on God. Look, he actually does it even with Jesus. He tries it with Jesus in Matthew 4, 
beginning in verse 1 through 11, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Go ahead and underline circle tempted by the devil. Just because you're following Christ or following God doesn't mean that the devil's not right behind you. The book of Job also teaches this, which is actually the oldest book of the Bible. Verse 2, it says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That makes sense that Jesus was hungry after not eating for that long. But did you know that the, the devil knows when you're the weakest? He knows when you're the weakest. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Scott Stedman, if you are a child of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Jesus answers, and if within it, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. You see, the devil's end game is for you to turn your back on God. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, I want us to notice notice here um, who the devil is. He's a tempter here. Jesus acknowledges the devil. The devil is acknowledged here. And he is then called the tempter in verse 3. And so in a very general sense, in a very specific way, though, a very specific way, one of the methods that the devil will use and that his army will use as he engages in warfare with you and against God is temptation. It's temptation. Now, temptation here basically stems, for most of us, a too high view of self. A too high view of self and a low view of God's holiness. High view of self, low view of God and His holiness. And so what it looks like is that you put grace so far over holiness that you can no longer see the holiness of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call this cheap grace. Like God is going to forgive me no matter what I do just because that's what God's supposed to do. That's what He does. And so my actions don't really matter. This is temptation. Now, I want to give you some ways in which I think that the devil um, typically tempts the average person. And there are so many more than this. But I I want you to find in this to see how the devil works and temptation in your life. One of the ways that the devil tempts us, and we even find it here in Matthew 4, is that you will find yourself cleverly, cleverly, I use that term liberally there, Bending scripture. Did you know that this is really how the devil gets Adam and Eve to disobey God the first time? Did God really say? Did God really say that? Here, uh, in Matthew 4, 6, the devil actually misuses scripture to get Christ to turn his back on God. 
When do you say, well, I should be able to do this because the scripture says this and it may mean this, but... So one, you find yourself cleverly bending scripture. Two, you are tempted by the devil as he shows you the bait and hides the hook. So he'll promise short-term pleasure for long-term pain as he shows you the bait and hides the hook. Three, you rationalize sin as virtue. And so this is what it looks like. I'm not greedy. I'm just thrifty. Or I'm not nosy or a gossip. I'm just concerned. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just social. I'm not possessive. I'm just a good steward. Rationalize sin as a virtue. Four. The devil will show you the sins of Christian leaders. He will show you the sins of Christian leaders. I see it all the time. I work with Doug. Um... <laughs> Uh, Doug, that's not true. Um, Josh, you shouldn't have put Doug down. It's okay for me to badmouth people. Show you the sins of Christian leaders. Well, nobody's that perfect. It's really not that big of a deal. If they do it, I can get away with this or that or follow them in that way. Makes you bitter over suffering. I work hard and my wife really doesn't appreciate it. Uh, this relationship on the side, really, I, I deserve it. Uh, my time on the computer, looking at whatever. This is, I need this. Uh, this is a release for me. Uh, I need to get away from my family when they need me. They don't understand the stress that I'm under. My husband doesn't really appreciate me, but I know somebody who does. It's okay to badmouth him. I mean, he deserves it. Makes you bitter over suffering. Six, the devil will show you, will show you how bad people live good lives. The devil will show you how bad people live good lives. And seventh, this is the last one I'll give you concerning temptation, is we'll compare one part of your life to another. Like, I'm nice and considerate to these people over here. I'm nice and considerate to the people at church. But uh, these people, the people I work with or my neighbors or whatever, it's okay if I be a jerk to them. I'm protective of my wife and my children so I can say whatever I want to other people. And it's fine. That's fine. Compare one part of your life to another. Now, the other way in which Satan works in our life in a very real way is accusation. Accusation, in fact, in many ways, is the opposite of temptation. And this is what I mean by this. Accusation typically is a too low view of self. It's a too low view of self. In other words, you can see God's holiness, you can see his perfection, you can see his justice, and yet you neglect to see his grace and his mercy. 
God, I, I know you're good. I know you're just. And so all you do is fear God. All you do is beat yourself up. All you do is believe that God is looking down at you and he's ready to get you, ready to punish you. This is what accusation looks like. Here are some ways in which this takes place. The devil will get you to look more at your sin than at the Savior. I'm an awful person. There are things that can never be forgiven. I will never change. Or even, I see, I see it this way quite often, actually, or, or occasionally. Um, if people knew what I did in the past, they wouldn't want to be friends with me. So I discovered that I, I don't really want to be involved in that growth group. I, 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 I believe that God has forgiven me, but like people would never be able to reconcile my past. And so it keeps you actually even from being in real community with real people and allowing people, the people of God who have been extended grace, to ever give you grace. Right? The devil will keep you from being in community with other people and receiving the grace of God through other people. This is one of the ways that he works as he gets you to look at your sin instead of your Savior. Secondly, the devil will have you question the sincerity of your faith. The devil will have you question the sincerity of your faith. One of the books that I skimmed through this week uh, to prepare for this was C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. And if you've never read The Screwtape Letters, basically what The Screwtape Letters are about, it's about a, it's about a, uh, a high-ranking demon who is training a low-level newer demon to tricking people to turn their backs on God and walk away from him. And so the high-ranking demon is named Screwtape, and he is training his protege named Wormwood. And one of the ways in which he is trying to get Wormwood uh, to trick uh, people like you and I is to get them to question their sincerity of faith. And he says basically there's two ways to get them to do this. First is to not get them to take take their faith seriously. And so this is a quote from the book. It says, in a week or two, you, in a week or two, you will be making him doubt whether the first days of his Christianity were not perhaps a little excessive. Talk about uh, moderation in all things. In other words, misquote scripture, right? misuse scripture, being able to do or having moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all good up until the point, you can make him feel quite happy about his soul. So it's good that I go to church. It's good that I like Jesus. And, you know, I, I did. I was sold out for him. I decided to die to self and follow Jesus and to give everything to him. But that was a little excessive. Like the people at work might think I'm a fanatic. Or something. So if I can just tone it down, continue to go to church, uh, continue to like Jesus, um, but not take my faith too seriously, like not give Jesus all of my life, not allow the word of God to determine what I think about life, what I think about myself, what I think about other people, what I really think about Jesus and those people around me. Basically, one of the things that the devil would do is to not get you to take your faith seriously. The second is just a direct attack. On your faith, basically, Screwtape then informs Wood, uh, Wormwood to persuade him that they're coming to Christ 
or that they're being sold out to his church and to the people of God was just a religious phase. We all go through phases. We all go through things that we're really excited about. We believe that are extremely important in our lives. And so if Wormwood, if you can convince this person that it was just the phase, it will phase out. It will wither out. And it will be a direct attack on your faith when those things start happening. One of the third ways that accusation takes place in our life is it'll cause you to be obsessed over past sins that can't be undone. Just living in the past. Living in what you once did. Keeping you there. The devil will keep you there if he can. And fourth, and this is the last accusation that I'm going to give you, you'll think your problems must be punishments. I can't find a job. So not the job that I want. Uh, my child didn't make the wrestling team or he loses all the time like Pastor Josh. Right? Um, you know, your wife burnt the dinner. No, that's not a punishment. Now, how do we fight? How do we fight? It's very simple. First, you must know and prepare for the devil's schemes. Know and prepare for the devil's methods. Did you spot them? When I read through the different temptations, the different accusations, did you spot it? Where's the devil tempt you? Where's the devil accuse you? When does it happen? How does it happen? Who does it happen through, typically? Well, I'm sold out on following Jesus, but every time I'm around this person, for some reason I begin to turn my back and walk away. So spot them. Spot, know how it happens and prepare for it. I, when I was reflecting on this, I realized this week that there's a certain season that comes. And I don't know about seasons, uh, what you guys know about seasons, but they come like once a year. Uh, same time, typically. Uh, and I've noticed, like, at the same time, every year, I have, I'm tempted in certain ways, I'm accused in certain ways, and different ways that I am the rest of the year. And so being prepared is important, to know that it's coming. So prepare and know. Secondly, it's, it's, it's crazy how simple this is, but how powerful this is, and yet, how much you must train yourself to do this. And it's simply this, to tell the devil to flee in Jesus' name. Tell the devil to flee in Jesus' name. Do you see how, did you see how Jesus responded to the devil? Like, yeah, the devil like, tempted him, and he basically used Scripture. But then at the end, Jesus just looked at the devil, and he says, Be gone. Flee. This is quite simple for us, too. When you know Jesus, you have the same power to look at the devil and say, flee, be gone. Think about it. When you are tempted, you have the power to tell the devil to be gone as you reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Jesus on the cross dies for sin. Sin costs Jesus his life. He is ripped 
limb from limb, nails put in his hand, blood pouring out from his side because you have sinned. Jesus died for that sin. And any time that we are giving into temptation, we are forgetting that Christ's blood had to be poured out for that, that Christ died for that, that Christ was ripped limb from limb. Your sin cost somebody their lives. It cost Jesus his life. Tell the devil to flee if you are in the midst of temptation because sin cost Jesus his life. And it cost, it will cost you your life too. The devil and Christ have two completely different plans for you. Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come so that you might have life. The life that Jesus, is, Jesus promised is guaranteed by the cross as he takes our punishment for sin on the cross. So therefore, sin should never be taken lightly. Temptation should never be given into without reflecting on what Christ has done for your behalf on the cross. Tell the devil to flee if you are in the midst of temptation. If you are being accused, tell the devil to flee. Because we have a Christ who went to the cross. We have a Christ who died on the cross because he loves you. Because he cares about you. We have a Christ who comes to earth to show that he cares about human beings and who gladly dies for their sin. The Bible said this, that there's no greater love than somebody who would lay down their life for their friends. So I don't, how do I know that God loves, loves me? What else do you want him to do? Right? He has died for you. He gave his life for you. There's no greater act of love than this. Here's the thing that you need to know if you are up against the devil and his schemes. That you are more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you. Do you get that? You are more than a conqueror through Christ. Now I want to emphasize one second really quickly before we go to worship this Christ. Is that you are a conqueror through Christ and Him only. He died for you to eradicate sin and to show His love for you. You need to think on this subject always through Christ. He is your armor. He is your armor. He is the full armor of God. And so you need to put Him on if you are waging war against Satan right now. And you need to keep Him on. And you need to think about Him. And you need to reflect on Him. And you need to tell the devil to flee in every part of your life in which you are being tempted or accused. Now, I want to give everybody an opportunity in here this morning to put Christ on. To put Christ on. Here's the thing. You have to choose to receive Christ. You have to choose to receive the salvation that He offers and the power that is guaranteed through His death and His resurrection. Christ died for your sin because you cannot pay the penalty of sin. The the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life for those who believe in Him. It's time to receive 
It's time to receive Christ this morning. If you've never received him, if you feel like you're going to war alone, if you're trying to fight evil by yourself, you will come up short every time because Christ is not living in you. Christ, you will continue to be tempted. You will continue to be accused until you look at the cross of Christ and say, I've put Jesus on. I stand with him today, tomorrow and forever. So if you never stood with Christ, if you never put Christ on, you have an opportunity to do that this morning by choosing to turn from sin and to turn towards Christ. Would you do that this morning? I'm going to pray for us. Charlie's going to come lead worship in the band. We're going to sing one last song here this morning. But we're going to pray right now that we all put on the full armor of God as we wage war against the devil and his schemes this morning. Father, we give you thanks because we know that you are strong. You tell us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so right now, Father, I pray Jesus over every single person in this room. I pray for the strength of his might. I pray for the strength and the power of the gospel. The good news that Christ has died for our sin. The good news that he loves us enough to die for our sin. So, Father, whether people are being tempted at this moment or whether they're being accused, I pray that Satan flee them. I pray that they say, be gone right now. That they know where it's coming from. Father, I pray that you give them the foresight to prepare in the future. Because you're tricky. It may be this now, but something else later. Give them the power to stand. Father, there may be somebody else here this morning and they've never put on the armor. They've never stood with Christ. They've never received the forgiveness of sin which is promised through Christ on the cross or your love as they look at Christ on the cross. Might they do that this morning? Might they turn from sin? And might they turn towards you? And might they be drawn to you by the power of the Holy Spirit? We pray that you give them a supernatural love for you and for others because of the grace that you have given them and because of the power that you supply through your spirit, which comes from outside of us and yet dwells inside of us. We give you thanks this morning, God, because we know that you are conquering the demons, that you have conquered Satan, that you have conquered death, and that you are conquering our wills. Might we all stand with you And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.